welcome to Chapter 11 of King Solomon's Minds by H. Ryder Haggard. We give a sign. For a long while, two hours, I should think, we sat there in silence, for we were too overwhelmed by the recollection of the horrors we had seen to talk. At last, just as we were thinking of turning in, for the night was drawing nigh to dawn, we heard the sound of steps. Then came the challenge of the sentry, who was posted at the crow gate, which was apparently answered, though not in an audible tone, for the steps came on, and in another second Infidus had entered the hut, followed by some half-dozen stately-looking chiefs. "'My lords,' he said, "'I have come according to my word. "'My lords and Ignosi, rightful king of the Kukuwanas, "'I have brought with me these men,' "'pointing to the row of chiefs, "'who are great men among us, "'having each one of them the command of three thousand soldiers, "'who live but to do their bidding under the kings. "'I have told them of what I have seen "'and what my ears have learned. "'Now let them also see the sacred snake around thee, "'and hear thy story, Ignosi, "'that they may say whether or no they will make cause with thee "'against Twala the king.' "'For an answer, Ignosi again stripped off his girdle "'and exhibited the snake tattooed around him. "'Each chief in turn drew near and examined it "'by the dim light of the lamp, "'and without saying a word, passed on to the other side. "'Then Ignosi resumed his moocha, "'and addressing them, repeated the history "'he had detailed in the morning.' "'Now ye have heard, chiefs,' said Infidus, when he had done. "'What say ye? Will ye stand by this man and help him to his father's throne, or will ye not? "'The land cries out against Twala, and the blood of the people flows like the waters in spring. "'Ye have seen to-night. Two other chiefs there were with whom I had it in my mind to speak. "'And where are they now? The hyenas howl over their corpses. "'Soon will ye be as they are.' "'if ye strike not. "'Choose then, my brothers.' "'The eldest of the six men, "'a short, thick-set warrior with white hair, "'stepped forward a pace and answered, "'Thy words are true, Infidus. "'The land cries out. "'My own brother is among those who died tonight. "'But this is a great matter, "'and the thing is hard to believe. "'How know we that if we lift our spears "'it may not be for an impostor? "'It is a great matter, I say.' "'and none may see the end of it. "'For of this be sure, "'blood will flow in rivers before the deed is done. "'Many will still cleave to the king, "'for men worship the sun that still shines bright in the heavens, "'and not that which has not risen. "'These white men from the stars, "'their magic is great, "'and Ignosi is under the cover of their wing. "'If he be indeed the rightful king, "'let them give us a sign, "'and let the people have a sign, "'that all may see.' "'so shall men cleave to us, "'knowing that the white man's magic is with them.' "'Ye have the sign of the snake,' I answered. "'My lord, it is not enough. "'The snake may have been placed there since the man's birth. "'Show us a sign. "'We will not move without a sign.' "'The others gave a decided assent, "'and I turned in perplexity to Sir Henry and Good. "'and explained the situation. "'I think I have it,' said Good, exultingly. "'Ask them to give us a moment to think.' "'I did so, and the chiefs withdrew. "'As soon as they were gone, "'Good went to the little box in which his medicines were, "'unlocked it, 
and took out a notebook, in the front of which was an almanac. "'Now look here, you fellows. Isn't tomorrow the fourth of June?' "'We had kept a careful note of the days, so were able to answer that it was. "'Very good. Then here we have it. "'The June fourth. June fourth, right here. "'Total eclipse of the moon commences at 8.15 Greenwich time. "'Which is Tenerife, Africa, etc. "'There's a sign for you. "'Tell them that you will darken the moon tomorrow night.' The idea was a splendid one, indeed. The only fear about it was a fear lest Good's almanac might be incorrect. If we made a false prophecy on such a subject, our prestige would be gone forever, and so would Ignosi's chance of the throne of the Cucuanas. Suppose the almanac is wrong, suggested Sir Henry to Good, who was busily employed in working out something on the fly-leaf of the book. I don't see any reason to suppose anything of the sort. "'was his answer. "'Eclipses always come up to time. "'At least, that's my experience of them, "'and it especially states that it will be visible in Africa. "'I've worked out the reckonings as well as I can "'without knowing our exact position, "'and I make out that the eclipse should begin here "'about ten o'clock tomorrow night "'and last till half-past twelve. "'For an hour and a half or more, "'there should be almost total darkness.' "'Well,' said Sir Henry, "'I suppose we'd better risk it.' "'I acquiesced, though doubtfully, "'for eclipses are queer cattle to deal with, "'and sent to boat but to summon the chiefs back. "'Presently they came, and I addressed them thus. "'Great men of the Cucuanas, and now, Infidus, listen. "'We love not to show our powers, "'since to do so is to interfere with the course of nature.' "'and plunge the world into fear and confusion. "'But this matter's a great one, "'and as we are angered against the king "'because of the slaughter we have seen, "'and because of the act of the Isanusi Gagul, "'who would have put our friend Ignosi to death, "'we have determined to break a rule "'and to give such a sign as all men may see. "'Come hither.' "'And I led them to the door of the hut "'and pointed to the red ball of the westering moon.' "'What see ye there?' "'We see the sinking moon,' answered the spokesman of the party. "'Yes, it is so. Now tell me, can any mortal man put out that moon before her hour of setting, and bring the curtain of black night down onto the land?' The chief laughed a little. "'No, my lord, that no man can do. The moon is stronger than man who looks on her, nor can she vary in her courses.' "'Ye say so. Yet I tell you that tomorrow night, two hours before midnight, "'will we cause that moon to be eaten up for the space of an hour and half an hour, "'and deep darkness shall cover the earth, "'and it shall be for a sign that Ignosi is indeed king of the Cucuanas. "'If we do this thing, will ye be satisfied?' "'Yes, my lords,' answered the old chief with a smile, "'which was reflected on the faces of his companions.' If ye do this thing, we will be satisfied indeed. It shall be done. We three, Inkubu, Bhagwan, and Makumazan, have said it, and it shall be done. Dost thou hear, Infadus? I hear, my lord, but it is a wonderful thing that ye promise, to put out the moon, the mother of the world, 
when she is at her full. Yet we shall do it, Infidus. It is well, my lords. Today, two hours after sunset, will Twala send for my lords to witness the girl's dance, and one hour after the dance begins shall the girl whom Twala thinks the fairest be killed by Scraga, the king's son, as a sacrifice to the silent stone ones who sit and keep watch by the mountains yonder. And he pointed to the three strange-looking peaks where Solomon's road was supposed to end. Then let my lords darken the moon and save the maiden's life, and the people will indeed believe. Aye, said the old chief, smiling a little, the people will believe indeed. Two miles from Lou, went on Infidus, there is a hill curved like the new moon, a stronghold, where my regiment and three other regiments which these men command are stationed. This morning we will make a plan whereby other regiments, two or three, may be moved there also. Then, if my lords can indeed darken the moon, in the darkness I will take my lords by the hand and lead them out of Lou to this place, where they shall be safe, and thence we can make war upon Twala the king. It is good, said I. Now leave us to sleep a while, and make ready our magic. Infidus rose, and having saluted us, departed with the chiefs. My friends, said Ignosi, as soon as they were gone, can ye indeed do this wonderful thing, or were ye speaking empty words to the men? We believe that we can do it, Umbopa, Ignosi, I mean. It is strange, he answered, and had ye not been Englishmen, I would not have believed it. But English gentlemen tell no lies, is that correct? If we live through the matter, be sure I will repay ye. Ignosi, said Sir Henry, promise me one thing. I will promise in Kubu, my friend, even before I hear it, answered the big man with a smile. What is it? It's this, that if you ever come to be king of this people, you will do away with the smelling out of witches such as we've seen last night, and that the killing of men without trial shall not take place in the land. Ignosi thought for a moment after I had translated this, and then answered, The ways of our people are not as the ways of white men in Kubu, nor do we hold life as high as ye. Yet will I promise it, if it be in my power to hold them back, the witch-finders shall hunt no more, nor shall any man die the death without judgment. That's a bargain, then, said Sir Henry. And now let us get a little rest. Thoroughly wearied out, we were soon sound asleep, and slept till Ignosi woke us about eleven o'clock. Then we got up, washed, and ate a hearty breakfast. After that we went outside the hut and walked about, amusing ourselves with examining the structure of the Kukuwana huts, and observing the customs of the women. "'I hope that eclipse will come off,' said Sir Henry, presently. "'If it doesn't, it will soon be up with us,' I answered mournfully. "'For so sure as we are living men, some of those chiefs will tell the whole story to the king, and then there will be another sort of eclipse, and one that we won't like.' Returning to the hut, we had some dinner, and passed the rest of the day in receiving visits of ceremony and curiosity. 
At length the sun set, and we had a couple of hours of such quiet as our melancholy forebodings would allow us. Finally, about half-past eight, a messenger came from Twala to bid us to the great annual Dance of Girls, which was about to be celebrated. We hastily put on the chain shirts that the king had sent us, and taking our rifles and ammunition with us, so as to have them handy in case we had to fly, as suggested by Infidus, started boldly enough, though with inward fear and trembling. The great space in front of the king's crawl bore a very different appearance from that which it had presented on the previous evening. In the place of the grim ranks of serried warriors were company after company of Kukawana girls, not overdressed, so far as clothing went, but each crowned with a wreath of flowers, and holding a palm-leaf in one hand and a tall white lily in the other. In the center of the open moonlit space sat Twala, the king, with old Gagool at his feet, attended by Infodus, the boy, Scraga, and twelve guards. There were also present about a score of chiefs, among whom I recognized most of our friends of the night before. Twala greeted us with much apparent cordiality, though I saw him fix his one eye viciously on Umbopa. "'Welcome, white men from the stars,' he said. "'This is a different night from what your eyes gazed on by the light of last night's moon. "'But it is not so good a sight. "'Girls are pleasant, and were it not for such as these,' and he pointed round him, "'we should none of us be here this night. "'But men are better. "'Kisses and the tender words of women are sweet. "'But the sound of clashing of men's spears and the smell of men's blood are sweeter far.' "'Would ye have wives from among our people, white men? "'If so, choose the fairest here, "'and ye shall have them, as many as ye will.' "'And he paused for an answer. "'As the prospect did not seem to be without attractions to good, "'who was, like most sailors, of a susceptible nature, "'I, being elderly and wise, "'and foreseeing the endless complications "'that anything of the sort would involve, "'for women bring trouble as surely as the night follows the day.' "'put in a hasty answer. "'Thanks, O king, "'but we white men wed only with white women like ourselves. "'Your maidens are fair, "'but they are not for us.' "'The king laughed. "'It is well. "'In our land there is a proverb which says, "'Women's eyes are always bright, "'whatever the color. "'And another which says, "'Love her who is present, "'for be sure she who is absent "'is false to thee. "'But perhaps,' These things are not so in the stars. In a land where white men are white, all things are possible. So be it, white men. The girls will not go begging. Welcome again, and welcome too, thou black one. If Gagool here had had her way, thou wouldst have been stiff and cold by now. It is lucky that thou too comest from the stars. I can kill thee before thou killest me, O king." was Ignosi's calm answer, and thou shalt be stiff before my limbs cease to bend. Twala started. Thou speakest boldly, boy, he replied, angrily. Presume not too far. He may well be bold in whose lips are truth. The truth is a sharp spear which flies home and fails not. It is a message from the stars, O king. Twala scowled, and his one eye gleamed fiercely. 
but he said nothing more. "'Let the dance begin!' he cried, and next second the flower-crowned girls sprang forward in companies, singing a sweet song and waving the delicate palms and white flowers. On they danced, looking weird and spiritual in the delicate light of the risen moon, now whirling round and round, now meeting in mimic warfare, swaying, eddying here and there, coming forward, falling back in an ordered confusion delightful to witness. At last they paused, and a beautiful young woman sprang out of the ranks and began to pirouette in front of us with a grace and vigor which would have put most ballet girls to shame. At length she retired exhausted, and another took her place, then another, and another, but none of them, either in grace, skill, or personal attractions, came up to the first. When the chosen girls had all danced, the king lifted his hand. "'Which think ye the fairest, white men?' he asked. "'The first, said I, unthinkingly. Next second I regretted it, for I remembered that Infidus had said that the fairest woman was offered as a sacrifice. "'Then is my mind as your minds, and my eyes as your eyes. She is the fairest, and a sorry thing it is for her, for she must die.' "'I must die!' piped out Gagool, casting a glance from her quick eyes in the direction of the poor girl, who, as yet ignorant of the awful fate in store for her, was standing some ten yards off in front of a company of girls, engaged in nervously picking a flower from her wreath to pieces, petal by petal. "'Why, O king?' said I, restraining my indignation with difficulty." "'The girl has danced well and pleased us. "'She is fair, too. "'It would be hard to reward her with death.' "'Twala laughed as he answered. "'It is our custom, and the figures who sit in stone yonder.' "'And he pointed towards the three distant peaks. "'Must have their due. "'If I failed to put the fairest girl to death today, "'misfortune would fall upon me and my house. "'Thus runs the prophecy of my people.' If the king offer not a sacrifice of a fair girl on the day of the dance of maidens to the old ones who sit and watch on the mountains, then shall he fall and his house with him. Look ye, white men, my brother who reigned before me offered not the sacrifice because of the tears of the woman, and he fell and his house, and I reign in his stead. It is finished. She must die. Then turning to the guards, Bring her hither, Scraga. Make sharp thy spear. Two of the men stepped forward, and as they did so, the girl, for the first time realizing her impending fate, screamed aloud and turned to fly. But the strong hands caught her fast and brought her, struggling and weeping, up before us. What is thy name, girl? piped Gagool. "'What? Wilt thou not answer? Shall the king's son do his work at once?' At this hint, Scraga, looking more evil than ever, advanced a step and lifted his great spear, and as he did so I saw Good's hand creep to his revolver. The poor girl caught the faint glint of the steel through her tears, and it sobered her anguish. She ceased struggling, but merely clasped her hands convulsively. "'and stood shuddering from head to foot. 
"'See?' cried Scragga, in high glee, "'and he tapped the broad blade of the spear. "'If ever I get the chance, you shall pay for that,' "'I heard Good mutter beneath his breath. "'Now that thou art quiet, give us thy name. "'Come, speak up, and fear not,' said Gagool in mockery. "'Oh, mother!' answered the girl in trembling accents. "'My name is Fulata, of the house of Suko. "'Oh, mother, why must I die? "'I have done no wrong.' "'Be comforted,' went on the old woman "'in her hateful tone of mockery. "'Thou must die indeed, as a sacrifice to the old ones who sit yonder.' "'And she pointed to the peaks.' "'but it is better to sleep in the night "'than to toil in the daytime. "'It is better to die than to live, "'and thou shalt die by the royal hand "'of the king's own son.' "'The girl Fulata wrung her hands in anguish "'and cried out aloud, "'Oh, cruel, and I am so young! "'What have I done that I should never again "'see the sun rise out of the night?' or the stars come following on his track in the evening, that I should no more gather the flowers when the dew is heavy, or listen to the laughing of the waters. Woe is me that I shall never see my father's hut again, nor feel my mother's kiss, nor tend the kid that is sick. Woe is me that no lover shall put his arm around me and look into my eyes, nor shall men-children be born of me. O oh, cruel! Cruel! And again she wrung her hands and turned her tear-stained, flower-crowned face to heaven, looking so lovely in her despair, for she was indeed a beautiful woman, that it would assuredly have melted the hearts of anyone less cruel than the three fiends before us. Prince Arthur's appeal to the ruffians who came to blind him was not more touching than this savage girl's. But it did not move Gagool or Gagool's master. "'though I saw signs of pity among the guard behind "'and on the faces of the chiefs. "'And as for good, he gave a sort of snort of indignation "'and made a motion as though to go to her. "'With all a woman's quickness, "'the doomed girl interpreted what was passing in his mind "'and with a sudden movement flung herself before him "'and clasped his white legs with her hands. "'Oh, white father from the stars!' she cried. Throw over me the mantle of thy protection. Let me creep into the shadow of thy strength, that I may be saved. Oh, keep me from these cruel men and the mercies of Gagool. All right, my hearty, I'll look after you, sang out Good, as a nervous Saxon. Come, get up. There's a good girl. And he stooped and caught her hand. Twala turned and motioned to his son, who advanced with his spear lifted. Now's your time. "'whispered Sir Henry to me. "'What are you waiting for?' "'I'm waiting for the eclipse,' I answered. "'I've had my eye on the moon for the last half hour, "'and I never saw it look healthier. "'Well, you must risk it now, or the girl will be killed. "'Twala is losing patience.' "'Recognizing the force of the argument, "'having cast one more despairing look at the bright face of the moon, "'for never did the most ardent astronomer with a theory to prove "'await a celestial event with such anxiety, "'I stepped with all the dignity I could command "'between the prostrate girl "'and the advancing spear of Scraga. 
King, I said, this shall not be. We will not tolerate such a thing. Let the girl go in safety. Twala rose from his seat in his wrath and astonishment, and from the chiefs and serried ranks of girls who had slowly closed up upon us in anticipation of the tragedy, came a murmur of amazement. "'Shall not be? Thou white dog who yaps at the lion in his cave! Shall not be? Art thou mad? Be careful lest this chicken's fate overtakes thee, and those with thee. How canst thou prevent it? Who art thou that thou standest between me and my will? Withdraw, I say. Scragga, killer. Ho, guards, seize these men. At his cry, armed men came running swiftly from behind the hut, where they had evidently been placed beforehand. Sir Henry, Good, and Umbopa ranged themselves alongside of me and lifted their rifles. Stop! I shouted boldly though at the moment my heart was in my boots. Stop! We, the white men from the stars, say that it shall not be. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Come but one page nearer, and we will put out the moon and plunge the land in darkness. Ye shall taste of our magic. My threat produced an effect. The men halted, and Scragga stood still before us, his spear lifted. Hear him! Hear him! piped Gagool. Hear the liar, who says he will put out the moon like a lamp. Let him do it, and the girl shall be spared. Yes, let him do it, or die with the girl. He and those with him. I glanced up at the moon, and to my intense joy and relief saw that we had made no mistake. On the edge of the great orb was a faint rim of shadow, while a smoky hue grew and gathered on its bright surface. I lifted my hand solemnly towards the sky, an example which Sir Henry and Good followed, and quoted a line or two of the Ingoldsby legends at it, "'in the most impressive tones I could command. "'Sir Henry followed suit with a verse out of the Old Testament, "'whilst Good addressed the Queen of Night "'in a volume of the most classical bad language "'that he could think of. "'Slowly the penumbra, the shadow of a shadow, "'crept on over the bright surface, "'and as it did so, I heard a deep gasp of fear "'rise from the multitude around. "'Look, O King! Look, Agul!' I said, Look, chiefs, and people, and women, and see if the white men from the stars kept their word, or if they be but empty liars. The moon grows dark before your eyes. Soon there will be darkness, aye, darkness in the hour of the full moon. Ye have asked for a sign? It is given to you. Grow dark, O moon. Withdraw thy light, thou pure and holy one. Bring the proud heart to the dust. "'and eat up the world with shadows.' 
A groan of terror rose from the onlookers. Some stood petrified with fear. Others threw themselves upon their knees and cried out. As for the king, he sat still and turned pale beneath his dusky skin. Only Gagool kept her courage. It will pass, she cried. I have seen the like before. No man can put out the moon. Lose not heart. Sit still. The shadow will pass. Wait, and ye shall see, I replied, hopping with excitement. Keep it up, good. I can't remember any more poetry. Curse away. There's a good fellow. Good responded nobly to the tax upon his inventive faculties. Never before had I the faintest conception of the breadth and depth and height of a naval officer's objurgatory powers. For ten minutes he went on without stopping, and he scarcely ever repeated himself. Meanwhile, the dark ring crept on, and that whole great assembly fixed their eyes upon the sky and stared and stared in fascinated silence. Strange and unholy shadows encroached upon the moonlight. An ominous quiet filled the place. Everything grew still as death. Slowly, and in the midst of this most solemn silence, the minutes sped away, and while they sped, the full moon passed deeper and deeper into the shadow of the earth, as the inky segment of its circle crept in awful majesty across the lunar craters. The great pale orb seemed to draw near and grow in size. She turned a coppery hue. Then that portion of her surface, which was unobscured as yet, grew gray and ashen. And finally, as totality approached, her mountains and her plains were to be seen glowing luridly through a crimson gloom. On, yet on, crept the ring of darkness. It was now more than half across the blood-red orb. The air grew thick, and still more deeply tinged with dusky crimson. On, yet on, till we could scarcely see the fierce faces of the group before us. No sound rose now from the spectators, and Good stopped swearing. "'The moon is dying! The wizards have killed the moon!' yelled out the boy, Scragga, at last. "'We shall all perish in the dark!' And animated by fear, or fury, or both, he lifted his spear, and drove it with all his force at Sir Henry's broad chest. But he had forgotten the mail shirts that the king had given us, and which we wore beneath our clothing. The steel rebounded harmless, and before he could repeat the blow, Sir Henry had snatched the spear from his hand, and sent it straight through Scragga. He dropped dead. At the sight, and driven mad with fear of the gathering darkness, and of the unholy shadow which, as they believed, was swallowing up the moon, the companies of girls broke up in wild confusion, and ran screeching for the gateways. Nor did the panic stop there. The king himself, followed by the guards, some of the chiefs, and Gagool, who hobbled away after them with marvelous alacrity, fled for the huts, so that in another minute or so, ourselves, the would-be victim, Fulata, Infidus, and most of the chiefs who had interviewed us on the previous night, were left alone on the scene, together with the dead body of Scragga. Now, chiefs, I said, we have given you the sign. If ye are satisfied, 
let us fly swiftly to the place ye spoke of. The charm cannot now be stopped. It will work for an hour and half an hour. Let us take advantage of the darkness. Come, said Infidus, turning to go, an example which was followed by the awed chiefs, ourselves, and the girl Fulata, whom good took by the hand. Before we reached the gate of the crawl, the moon went out utterly, and from every quarter of the firmament the stars rushed forth into the inky sky. Holding each other by the hand, we stumbled on through the darkness. Chapter 12 Before the Battle Luckily for us, Infidus and the chiefs knew all the pathways of the great town perfectly, so that notwithstanding the gloom, we made fair progress. For an hour and more we journeyed on, till at length the eclipse began to pass, and that edge of the moon which had disappeared the first became again visible. Suddenly, as we watched, there burst from it a silver streak of light, accompanied by a wondrous ruddy glow, which hung upon the blackness of the sky like a celestial lamp, and a wild and lovely sight it was. In another five minutes the stars began to fade, and there was sufficient light to see our whereabouts. We then discovered that we were clear of the town of Lou, and approaching a large, flat-topped hill, measuring some two miles in circumference. This hill, which was of a formation common in southern Africa, was not very high. Indeed, its greatest elevation was not more than two hundred feet. But it was shaped like a horseshoe, and its sides were rather precipitous, and strewn with boulders. On the grass tableland at the top was ample camping ground, which had been utilized as a military cantonment of no mean strength. Its ordinary garrison was one regiment of three thousand men, but as we toiled up the steep side of the hill in the returning moonlight, we perceived that here were many more warriors than that upon it. Reaching the table-land at last, we found crowds of men roused from their sleep and huddled up together, shivering with fear and in the utmost consternation at the natural phenomenon which they were witnessing. Passing through these without a word, we gained a hut in the center of the ground, when we were astonished to find two men waiting. Laden with our few goods and chattels, which we had, of course, been obliged to leave behind in our hasty flight. "'I sent for them,' explained Infidus. "'Also for these.' and he lifted up Good's long-lost trousers. With an exclamation of rapturous delight, Good sprang at them, and instantly proceeded to put them on. Infidus next informed us that he had commanded the regiments to muster as soon as day broke, in order to explain to them fully the circumstances of the rebellion which was decided upon by the chiefs, and to introduce to them the rightful heir to the throne, Ignosi. Accordingly, so soon as the sun was up, the troops, in all, nearly twenty thousand men, constituting the flower of the Kukuwana army, were mustered on a large open space to which we proceeded. The men were drawn up in three sides of dense square, and presented a magnificent spectacle. We took our station on the open side of the square, and we were speedily surrounded by all the principal chiefs and officers. These, after silence had been proclaimed, Infidus proceeded to address. He narrated to them in vigorous and graceful language. For like most Kukuanas of high rank, he was a born orator, 
the history of Ignosi's father, how he had been basely murdered by Twala, the king, and his wife and child driven out to starve. Then he pointed out how the land suffered and groaned under Twala's cruel rule, instancing the proceedings of the previous night, when under pretense of their being evildoers, many of the noblest in the land had been hauled forth and cruelly done to death. Next he went on to say that the white lords from the stars, looking down on the land, had perceived its trouble, and determined, at great personal inconvenience, to alleviate its lot. How they had accordingly taken the real king of the country, Ignosi, who was languishing in exile, by the hand, and led him over the mountains. How they had seen the wickedness of Twala's doings, and for a sign to the wavering, and to save the life of the girl Fulata, had actually, by the exercise of their high magic, put out the moon, and slain the young fiend Scraga, and how they were prepared to stand by them, and assist them to overthrow Twala, and set up the rightful king, Ignosi, in his place. He finished his discourse amidst a murmur of approbation, and then Ignosi stepped forward, and began to speak. Having reiterated all that Infidus his uncle had said, he concluded a powerful speech in these words. O chiefs, captains, soldiers, and people, ye've heard my words. Now must ye make choice between me and him who sits upon my throne, the uncle who killed his brother and hunted his brother's child forth to die in the cold and the night. That I am indeed the king, these, pointing to the chiefs, can tell ye, for they have seen the snake about my middle. If I were not the king, wouldst these white men be on my side, with all their magic? Tremble, chiefs, captains, soldiers, and people. Is not the darkness they have brought upon the land to confound Twala, and cover our flight? Darkness even in the hour of the full moon, yet before your eyes? It is, answered the soldiers. I am the king, I say to ye, I am the king, went on Ignosi, drawing up his great stature to its full, and lifting his broad-bladed battle-axe above his head. If there be any man among you who says that it is not so, let him stand forth, and I will fight him now, and his blood shall be a red token that I tell ye true. Let him stand forth now, I say. And he shook the great axe till it flashed in the sunlight. As nobody seemed inclined to respond to his heroic version of Dilly Dilly Come and Be Killed, our late henchman proceeded with his address. I am indeed the king, and if ye do stand by my side in the battle, if I win the day, ye shall go with me to victory and honor. I will give ye oxen and wives, and ye shall take place of all the regiments, and if ye fall, I will fall with thee. And behold, this promise do I give ye, that when I sit upon the seat of my fathers, bloodshed shall cease in this land. No longer shall ye cry for justice to find slaughter. No longer shall the witch-finder hunt ye out, so that ye be slain without a cause. No man shall die save he who offendeth against the laws. The eating up of your crawls shall cease. Each shall sleep secure in his own hut, and fear not and justice shall walk blind through the land. Have ye chosen chiefs, captains, soldiers, and people? We have chosen, O king, came back the answer. 
"'It is well. "'Turn your heads, "'and see how Twala's messengers go forth from the great town, "'east and west, and north and south, "'to gather a mighty army to slay me and ye. "'And these, my friends and my protectors, "'tomorrow, or perchance the next day, "'will he come with all who are faithful to him. "'Then shall I see the man who is indeed my man, "'the man who fears not to die for his cause.' and I tell ye, he shall not be forgotten in the time of spoil. I have spoken, O chiefs, captains, soldiers, and people. Now go to your huts, and make you ready for war. There was a pause, and then one of the chiefs lifted his hand, and out rolled the royal salute. Coom! It was a sign that the regiments accepted Ignosi as their king. Then they marched off in battalions. Half an hour afterwards we held a council of war, at which all the commanders of regiments were present. It was evident to us that before very long we should be attacked in overwhelming force. Indeed, from our point of vantage on the hill, we could see troops mustering, and messengers going forth from Lou in every direction, doubtless to summon regiments to the king's assistance. We had on our side about twenty thousand men, composed of seven of the best regiments in the country. Twala had, so Infidus and the chiefs calculated, at least thirty to thirty-five thousand, on whom he could rely at present, assembled in lieu, and they thought that by midday on the morrow he would be able to gather another five thousand or more to his aid. It was, of course, possible that some of his troops would desert and come over to us, but it was not a contingency that could be reckoned on. Meanwhile, it was clear that active preparations were being made to subdue us, Already strong bodies of armed men were patrolling round and round the foot of the hill, and there were other signs of a coming attack. Infidus and the chiefs, however, were of the opinion that no attack would take place that day, which would be devoted to preparation and to the removal by every possible means of the moral effect produced upon the minds of the soldiery by the supposed magical darkening of the moon. The attack would be on the morrow, they said, and they proved to be right. Meanwhile, we set to work to strengthen the position as much as possible. Nearly the entire force was turned out, and in the course of the day, which seemed all too short, much was done. The paths up the hill, which was rather a sanitarium than a fortress, being used generally as the camping place of regiments suffering from recent service in unhealthy portions of the country, were carefully blocked with masses of stones, and every other possible approach was made as impregnable as time would allow. Piles of boulders were collected at various spots to be rolled down upon an advancing enemy. Stations were appointed to the different regiments, and every other preparation which our joint ingenuity could suggest was taken. Just before sundown, as we rested after our toil, we perceived a small company of men advancing towards us from the direction of Lou, one of whom bore a palm leaf in his hand as a sign that he came as a herald. As he came, Ignosi, Infidus, one or two chiefs, and ourselves, went down to the foot of the mountain to meet him. He was a gallant-looking fellow, with a regulation leopard-skin cloak. Greeting, he cried, as he came near. The king's greeting to those who make unholy war against the king. The lion's greeting to the jackals who snarl around his heels. Speak, I said. These are the king's words. Surrender to the king's mercy, 
ere a worse thing befall ye, ere a worse thing befall ye. Already the shoulder has been torn from the black bull, and the king drives him bleeding about the camp. What are Twala's terms? I asked for curiosity. His terms are merciful, worthy of a great king. These are the words of Twala, the one-eyed, the mighty, the husband of a thousand wives, lord of the Kukuanas, keeper of the great road, beloved of the strange ones who sit in silence at the mountains yonder, calf of the black cow, elephant whose tread shakes the earth, terror of the evil doer, ostrich whose feet devour the desert, huge one, black one, wise one, king from generation to generation. These are the words of Twala. I will have mercy and be satisfied with a little blood. One in every ten shall die, and the rest shall go free. But the white man, Unkubu, who slew Scraga, my son, and the black man, his servant, who pretends to my throne, and Infidus, my brother, who brews rebellion against me, these shall die by torture as an offering to the silent ones. Such are the merciful words of Twala. After consulting with the others a little, I answered him in a loud voice, so that the soldiers might hear. Go back, thou dog, to Twala, who sent thee, and say that we, Ignosi, veritable king of the Kukuanas, Inkubu, Bagwan, and Makumazan, the wise white ones from the stars, who make dark the moon, Infidus of the royal house, and the chief, captain, and people here gathered, make answer and say, that we will not surrender, that before the sun has twice gone down, Twala's corpse shall stiffen at Twala's gate, and Ignosi, whose father Twala slew, shall reign in his stead. Now go, ere we whip thee away, and beware how ye lift a hand against such as we. The herald laughed loud. Ye frighten not men with such swelling words, he cried out. Show yourselves as bold tomorrow, O ye who darken the moon. Be bold, fight, and be merry. Before the crows pick your bones till they're whiter than your faces. Farewell. Perhaps we may meet in the fight. Wait for me, I pray, white men. And with this shaft of sarcasm he retired, and almost immediately the sun sank. That night was a busy one, for weary as we were, as far as was possible by the moonlight, all preparations for tomorrow's fight were continued, and messengers were constantly coming and going from the place where we sat in council. At last, about an hour after midnight, everything that could be done was done, and the camp, save for the occasional challenge of a sentry, sank into sleep. Sir Henry and I, accompanied by Ignosi and one of the chiefs, descended the hill and made the round of the outposts. As we went, suddenly, from all sorts of unexpected places, spears gleamed out in the moonlight, only to vanish again as we uttered the password. It was clear to us that none were sleeping at their posts. Then we returned, picking our way through thousands of sleeping warriors, many of whom were taking their last earthly rest. The moonlight flickered along their spears and played upon their features and made them ghastly. The chilly night wind tossed their tall and hearse-like and hearse-like plumes. There they lay in wild confusion, with arms outstretched and twisted limbs, 
their stern, stalwart forms looking weird and unhuman in the moonlight. "'How many of these do you suppose will be alive at this time tomorrow?' asked Sir Henry. I shook my head and looked again at the sleeping men, and to my tired and yet excited imagination it seemed as though death had already touched them. My mind's eye singled out those who were sealed to slaughter, and there rushed in upon my heart a great sense of the mystery of human life, and an overwhelming sorrow at its futility and sadness. Tonight these thousands slept their healthy sleep. Tomorrow they, and many others with them, ourselves perhaps among them, would be stiffening in the cold. Their wives would be widows, their children fatherless, and their place know them no more forever. Only the old moon would shine serenely on, the night wind would stir the grasses, and the wide earth would take its happy rest, even as it did eons before these were, and will do eons after they've been forgotten. All sorts of reflections of this sort pass through my mind, for as I get older, I regret to say that a detestable habit of thinking seems to be getting a hold of me. While I stood and stared at those grim yet fantastic lines of warriors sleeping, as their saying goes, upon their spears. Curtis, I said to Sir Henry, I'm in a condition of pitiable funk. Sir Henry stroked his yellow beard and laughed as he answered, I've heard you make that sort of remark before, Quartermain. Well, I mean it now. Do you know, I very much doubt if one of us will be alive tomorrow night. We shall be attacked in overwhelming force, and it is exceedingly doubtful if we can hold this place. We'll give a good account of some of them, at any rate. Look here, Quartermain. The business is a nasty one, and one with which, properly speaking, we ought not to be mixed up. "'But we are in for it, so we must make the best of it. "'Speaking personally, I'd rather be killed fighting than any other way. "'And now that there seems little chance of my finding my poor brother, "'it makes the idea easier to me. "'But fortune favors the brave, and we may succeed. "'Anyway, the slaughter will be awful, "'and as we have a reputation to keep up, "'we shall have to be in the thick of it.' Sir Henry made this last remark in the mournful voice, but there was a gleam in his eye which belighted. I have a sort of idea that Sir Henry Curtis actually likes fighting. After this, we went and slept for a couple of hours. Just about dawn, we were awakened by Infidus, who came to say that great activity was to be observed in Lou, and that parties of the king's skirmishers were driving in our outposts. We got up and dressed ourselves for the fray, each putting on our chain-armor shirt, for which at present juncture we felt exceedingly thankful. Sir Henry went the whole length about the matter, and dressed himself like a native warrior. "'When you're in Kukuwana land, do as the Kukuwanas do,' he remarked, as he drew the shining steel over his broad shoulders, which had fitted like a glove. Nor did he stop there. At his request, Infidus had provided him with a complete set of war uniform. Round his throat he fastened the leopard-skin cloak of a commanding officer. On his brows he bound the plume of black ostrich feathers, worn only by generals of high rank, and round his center a magnificent moocha of white oxtails. 
a pair of sandals, a leglet of goat's hair, a heavy battle-axe with a rhinoceros horn handle, a round iron shield covered with white oxide, and the regulation number of talas or throwing knives made up his equipment, to which, however, he added his revolver. The dress was, no doubt, a savage one, but I'm bound to say I never saw a finer sight than Sir Henry Curtis presented in this guise. It showed off his magnificent physique to the greatest advantage, and when Ignosi arrived presently, arrayed in similar costume, I thought to myself that I never before saw two such splendid men. As for good and myself, the chain armor did not suit us nearly so well. To begin with, good insisted upon keeping on his trousers, and a stout, short gentleman with an eyeglass and one half his face shaved, arrayed in a mail shirt carefully tucked into a very seedy pair of corduroys, looks more striking than imposing. As for myself, my chain shirt being too big for me, I put it on over all my clothes, which caused it to bulge out in a somewhat ungainly fashion. I discarded my trousers, however, determined to go into battle with bare legs in order to be the lighter, in case it became necessary to retire quickly, retaining only my veltshoons. This, a spear, a shield, which I did not know how to use, a couple of tolas, a revolver, and a huge plume, which I pinned into the top of my shooting hat in order to give a bloodthirsty finish to my appearance, completed my modest equipment. In addition to all these articles, of course we had our rifles, but as ammunition was scarce, and they would be useless in case of a charge, we had arranged to have them carried behind us by bearers. As soon as we had equipped ourselves, we hastily swallowed some food, and then started out to see how things were progressing. At one point in the table-land of the mountain, there was a little copy of brown stone, which served for the double purpose of headquarters and a conning tower. Here we found Infidus, surrounded by his own regiment, the Greys, which was undoubtedly the finest in the Kukuwana army, and the same which we had first seen at the outlying crawl. This regiment, now 3,500 strong, was being held in reserve, and the men were lying down on the grass in companies, and watching the king's forces creep out of loo in long ant-like columns. There seemed to be no end to these columns, three in all, and each numbering at least 11 or 12,000 men, as soon as they were clear of the town, they formed up. Then one body marched off to the right, one to the left, and the third came slowly on towards us. Ah, said Infidus, they are going to attack us on three sides at once. This was rather serious news, for as our position on the top of the mountain, which was at least a mile and a half in circumference, was an extended one, it was important to us to concentrate our comparatively small defending force as much as possible. But as it was impossible for us to dictate in what way we would be attacked, we had to make the best of it, and accordingly sent orders to the various regiments to prepare to receive the separate onslaughts. Stay tuned next week for Chapter 13, The Attack. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, and please take a moment to send us a review at Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that very much. Also, if you've never caught our other shows, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, 
and 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, you're missing some great podcasts. You can find them wherever great podcasts are found. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll be back soon. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details